I would like to welcome you for the first time or welcome you back, depending if you've listened to my past three episodes. You're listening to M Talks, and my name is Melissa. In this month's episode, we're going to be talking to Samantha Biddy, who is a sexual health and consent educator and speaker. We begin the conversation by talking about her journey, how she became a sexual health and consent educator, and what she offers as well. We also talk about consent itself, what it means, and some of the basics. It ended up being a very great dialogue that was very inspiring, and I hope you find the same. So without any further hesitation, here's the interview, and I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, so um, how long have you been a sex educator, and like, like what kind of events and talks have you done? Basically, what's your resume? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good, it's been, a, it's been an interesting journey. When I started out as a sex educator, it was a little over 10 years ago. Like my first ever job in sex education was in like that I consider to be sex education was in a sex toy shop Mm -hmm. uh, in Scarborough where I grew up and I was underage. I wasn't old enough to work in a set of 17. I lied about my age and that was my first uh, sex education job because people were coming in. They had questions about pleasure. They had questions about bodies. Like there were folks who would come in and try on like lingerie. So it was like uh, who weren't people I traditionally thought of of wearing that type of lingerie like uh I'll say this there would be and this is early 2000s type shit so this was kind of before we had social media and access to people's stories and things like that so there would be lots of like cisgendered men as example that would come in and try on like quote-unquote women's lingerie and that was kind of like my first exposure to exploring sexuality in a way outside of the kind of heteronormative way that I had been taught to or not taught how to via Cosmo and I guess sex education at school. Like, I don't you know what I mean. Like um, all the informal informal means that I had previously accessed sex education. So that was my first sex education job. And then I went into being a volunteer at Planned Parenthood Toronto in my early twenties. And after I had that experience, that like peer-to-peer, one-on-one counseling education type setting, I was like, yep, this is it for me. I started studying in school with the aims of like becoming, you know, psychologist or a social worker, something. I wanted to be a counselor. I wanted to be a, a sexual health counselor. And then I just started doing like my own kind of like volunteer projects, education projects, Uh, I got, I started getting employed as a sex educator and a counselor doing pre-abortion counseling and sex ed counseling and training and all that sort of thing. And what I found was that all of those institutions are subject to all the same fuckeries that all of our institutions are subject to, which is anti-Black racism, like colonial, hierarchical, oppressive, you know, toxic white feminist type shit. And even though a lot of those spaces had a lot of, you know, quote unquote diversity, the people running it did not. And I ultimately, you know, got pushed out of almost every job that I had, whether that was literally pushed out, like, Samantha, you're not a good fit, or... Uh, through the regulation of my behavior, my appearance, how little they would pay me, how little security they would give me. And uh, after I left my last sexual health job, I was like, you know, I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to try, I'm going to try and be, you know, a so-called independent educator. And 
because I'd done a bunch of stuff around that, like in a volunteer capacity, like I'd traveled and done it. I'd um, started developing content and workshops and working with youth groups, not specific to sexual health, but like mental health and wellness and all that stuff. I was like, all right, let's see what happens. And then I promise we're almost to the end. Um, no, I like it. Okay. I was like, <laughs> I had identified so many gaps by working one-on-one -on -one with youth and working within institutions and just like also witnessing those things I talked about, like the anti-black racism and the youth negativity and all that shit. I was like, okay, how do I address this? And I'm like, you know, currently we are the most resourced information resource generation that's ever existed. Whether you're nine years old or you're 99 years old, like you have access to information. So what I have to offer is critical thinking skills and emotional intelligence skills. That's what I actually, that's what I actually teach. And I throw words like cummed in around, but like, you know, for me, sexual health relationships, that is a vessel to talk about critical thinking skills and emotional intelligence skills. And so I was like, how do I teach that? And the way I started teaching it was boring as fuck. And, and I was like, it was really boring. And it wasn't like, hitting. And then I was like, well, what do I like? And I was like, I like games. I like aesthetics. I like humor. I like fun. I like, I have a pretty dry kind of sense of humor. Maybe not dry. I don't know. How would you describe it? You've heard me. I, I try to be as close to the human experience as possible. And I think that that is dark and I think that it's funny. And I think that there's a way to like use tact in those mm -hmm. spaces. So I was like, okay, how do I bring that into this work? It doesn't have to be pedantic. I was really afraid because I'm not fully formally educated that it was what I had to teach was invalid, mm. you know, have all the institutional formal words or understandings that like, you know, and then once I realized that like, that doesn't matter um, when we're talking about accessible education, I was like, I'm going to teach this in a way that's fun for me. So um I started developing games and using art and using myself as art as an entry point. And it was like, how do I create entry points into this conversation so that people who are typically not seen in these conversations feel seen, feel safe, feel heard. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of has like snowballed from there. So presently I am a, an independent sexual health and consent educator. Mm -hmm. um, I have uh, I have a video column that's like open, whatever people, anyone can access it. I'm represented by the National Speakers Bureau. So that agency connects me with university and college clients predominantly. So um, I host a game that I developed called Sexy Sexual Health Trivia. It's a fully interactive digital media um, game show style sex ed game. Um, which I was hosting on site at universities and colleges before uh, the pandemic for COVID-19 destroyed our ability to be in public space together and amongst other things. And um, now it's online. Now I host it virtually, which is arguably way less fun for me. Yeah, less interaction, I guess, and less like personal. I want to feel people's energy. That's what yeah. I thrive off of. I'm a fire sign. I want to, and I'm empath. And I'm like, I want to, and then you can know, you're like, okay, I'm on the right track. Like I can keep going with this joke or this stream of learning or whatever. And um, so, yeah, so I host Sexy Sexual Health Trivia. I am working on a video series right now. So I um, have a video series package also for college, directed at a college and university audience 
um, called Sexy Sexual Health Education, covering a range of topics from like how to flirt in consent culture to um, decentering heteronormativity when we talk about sex. Um, I'm just editing right now a video on self pleasure and how like diverse self pleasure actually is. And um, yeah, I have some exciting things coming up for the new year that I can't speak about yet, but also media based. So, you know, it's like my work is as uh, I try to be as agile. The last kind of thing I'll say is that Samantha Biddy is a character right like it's uh it's me and it's like an exaggerated version of me but the thing that kept me from having any kind of ability to connect with other people or like that that awkward phase between this is like really uh technical and boring and people aren't connecting with it to like oh people are like connecting with it connecting with me having fun and i can like iterate from there was like debilitating self-doubt i was mm -hmm. like really self-doubtful and i was just like and you know it's it's hard out here like it, it's, it's <laughs> and that's my problem too yeah i always think and and i'm glad you brought it up but like when you had that experience where you thought you weren't because you didn't have the formal education that you couldn't do it like me i technically i mean i still downplay you know my education but i'm still like i don't know if i could do it you know mm -hmm. uh, so it's very inspiring in that way that you kind of like fought through all of that. And I think you're very successful in what you do. And like, I, I, I really, really enjoy your work. And I always learn something new and it's very great. And it is fun. And I love your humor as well, because you do it in a fun way where it um, like teaches people. And it's also like straight up, it's like you're going exactly through the problems like racism, homophobia, all of it. And it's straight to the point, no bullshit. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, like, there's always, we always kind of walk this line when it comes to like consent education, anti-sexual violence education. You know, there's this, there's this concept that it has to be very serious because it's serious shit and it is serious shit. And so I never want to diminish or sanitize yeah. the urgency of that, those messages and mm -hmm. the, the, um, yeah, the seriousness of it. But life is not binary, mm -hmm. you know? And the way I look at it is that my job is to disrupt binaries. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, I'm also gonna make mistakes and I'm gonna misstep and I'm gonna misspeak and all that stuff. But what I think that, um, back to the point about uh, Samantha Biddy and crafting that was, that character um, doesn't have the same fears that me, Samantha of URL has, mm -hmm. you know, like she, if she makes a mistake, she has like the resilience and the accountability and all the stuff where I'm like, where my, me as a person, my fear of making mistakes will keep me from doing yeah. anything, uh -huh. you know? And so I think there's, and the more of my, the more of the stuff I love that I bring into what I do, I feel like I'm on like a very self-centered uh, tangent here, but I guess because we're talking about me and what my work, it's okay. Um, the more I bring in, the less I limit myself, yeah. the more effective I find the education is. The more I have people like you reaching out to me being like, I really connected with what you said, or like that really helped me. And like, that's my favorite. That's the thing. It's like when I left clinic work, I stopped having that like one-to-one -one, real time, like what the re 
how you resourced me left me better than when I got here. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like, that's what I need. That's what I thrive on. That's why I keep, that's how I keep figuring out how to do this. Mm-hmm. And so media is a very, being media based and being all that shit minimizes that connection so being able to connect with someone to be like yeah like that's helpful I'm like okay sick it's Mm -hmm. not just like me in my own world thinking like this makes sense like you know what I mean I mean there's constructive I guess I don't know if you had any experiences that you know kind of rocked your mind a little bit with people being a little bit um well critical I guess we'll call it you know uh when somebody doesn't agree or you know, like, yes, that happens, of course, like the work, like when it comes to talking about sex, relationships, consent stuff, anti-sexual violence, gender-based violence, and stuff, it's like, we're all like a collective wisdom and we're all learning. Yeah. And there's always going to be disagreements on certain things. It's contentious work. Yeah, for you sure. Know, even my approach, like I recently had an issue um, where a client was trying to kind of suppress the ethos of my work. They had, they took issue with it being, you know, quote unquote sexy. And I was like, you know, that's an intentional choice. I wasn't mm-hmm. like, okay, here's sex ed. Let's throw some tits on it. I, um, I was very mindful about why I, I look the way I look, talk the way I talk, all that stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, it kind of, it kind of, in the past that would have sent me into a spiral of like, and now my career is done. I will be resuming some other form of education to get some other kind of career. I can't, but I was like, no, like, I know, I know who the fuck I am. I know what I'm doing. I know why sex positivity is important to ending gender-based violence. Like, and that's what's up. Right. So, um, that said, I have some of the best mentors in the country, riding for me, supporting me. And so it's like, I have a community of people that I trust and respect who are like, I trust and respect you back. And so that kind of like, it's kind of like, okay, to answer your question, it's that it's important to take all calls to accountability into empathetic, critical thinking and processing, but not everybody who has something to say about what you do is right. Or, you know, so it's like, who are my people and like, let that be a diverse group of people. Who are my people and do I fuck with them? Yes. What, what do they think? Like always seeking that, always seeking mentorship, always seeking guidance, but then also like making room for you to like self mentor, be like, actually I can trust me because I worked for it. And that's what I would say to you when you're like, Oh, I'm not sure. It's like, no, I can trust me because I worked for it. Um, and we live in a society that, especially as women, racialized women, it's going to constantly be telling us, mm. you know, don't trust yourself. Don't be too loud. Don't whatever, whatever. And, um, I hear all those voices too. And I'm just like, I'm gonna do it anyway. And, um, and feel like shit and go through the self-doubt and whatever, and then emerge even more resolved. Yeah. Right? Like staying truthful, but also t- trusting yourself. For sure, yeah. Well, that's great. I I'm glad to know more about you. Um, but that's great. Yeah, it was nice to know about the journey that you've been through. And yeah, um, I think the biggest thing though, with anytime you're providing care or education, no matter what the the discipline or context, for me, it's really important that I see myself 
mm. as not who the work is for to an extent, like not centering myself, like keeping my baggage and my traumas and all that stuff separate from mm. the ultimate message. Like, yeah, it informs it. Like all the topics from my column for the most part. So I have a column called Bitty Bits, right? Um, I don't know if I'm sure you've seen it. A lot of those topics, people do submit me those questions, you know, but yeah. a lot of my work is based on my own experiences. Like when I made, a, I made a video called, so the thing about Bitty Bits too is it kind of like pokes fun at self-help culture. Like uh -huh. it's intentionally kind of like making fun of uh, our like, um, our like immediate gratification culture of like 10 easy ways to be an ally, like that kind of shit, where it's kind of like the four easy ways to love your body is like, it's not fucking easy. Like what are you talking about here? Um, but I, I did a video called 101 ways to break it off with someone other than saying literally nothing. Yeah. And that was because I was maliciously ghosted by someone like maliciously ghosted by someone. And I translated that frustration and that pain into something I thought could be helpful. And so yeah. it was like, there are ways to use our experience mm -hmm. as, you know, thought invokers, but yeah. not have to be through that gaze because yeah. then you end up with like really messy shit. Exactly. I never want to make content about me. Like it might be inspired by certain things that happen or interests that I have, like, but it would never like, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to talk about my own experiences and like, you just talk about my sex life and stuff. And you know, that's not the way it's going to work. <laughs> there's ways to do it that are helpful. Yeah. Well, like when I teach anti-racism, anti-oppression, I'm like, this okay. can't be about how I've experienced racism. Like this has to, <laughs> and it's like, I can draw examples and I can even be like, to speak to my own experience, like just narr like narrating it or, or um, naming it. Mm -hmm. you know like um and to avoid the trap of making things about yourself when a lot of us go into this type of work because we do want to heal we're survivors we're like all this shit so it's like okay how do i how do i see that to the best of my ability but not make it about me as fuck you know because those are two when it comes to sex and relationships sometimes people they want to know that you're going through it as well and so finding that balance has been challenging. I've definitely made mistakes, but I, you know, I, I feel like I have a fairly good handle on it now more so than before. Oh yeah. I bet you would get better over time. At, like, you know, just making decisions and finding out like what I'm able or what you're able to like share and what's going to be effective um, for your storytelling or whatever your goal is. Um, yeah. 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 What is this useful? Exactly. It. All yeah. of the critical thinking skills I'm trying to teach. I'm like, am I doing them? Like before I teach? Okay. Then we're good. Uh, but it's like any of the other skills I had to develop. Like I had to learn how to video edit. I had to learn how to use Photoshop. I had to learn how to do a lot of things like to be a social entrepreneur. Like you got to do everything. I'd be a project manager. You got to be all this other shit. Mm -hmm. And the same way I get better at those skills, I get better at my like emotional intelligence skills. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, understandable. Well, ironically, I was talking to somebody the other day and they asked me, they literally didn't know what consent meant. Mm -hmm. Like they were confused and I was like, like, how do you not know? And I'm like, I mean, there's so many things that I still don't know. I can't say that I'm an expert. Um, 
because there's always new things that you can learn in life in general. Like, you know, you can't know 100% of everything, right? Um, but as a starting point to know what, like, what's consent in general, maybe we could discuss this. Sure. The way that I articulate what consent is, is that consent is an invitation into experiences, mm. right? And with any invitation, it's like there's, there's the like ask and then there's the answer, mm. right? And um, I'm just thinking of this example now and it's kind of tacky, but think about like back in the day when you used to get like an invitation to a kid's birthday party, you're a kid and you get the little piece of paper with the picture with the theme and it's like, RS, please RSVP yeah. before we had email before any of that stuff. And it's like, if someone didn't send the RSVP back, it's like, well, I'm not counting you in the cake count. Like I'm not counting you in the barbecue hot dogs. Like you're not, you're not coming to the party. So if someone doesn't answer, um, that's a no. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what, that's what consent is. And, and to, to the point about your friend or whoever asked you, like, we didn't start as like a culture, like as like a social culture talking about consent as it relates to bodily autonomy or sex or anything until like the last five, 10 years in a mainstream way, even as a sex educator, we didn't really name it. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of like, oh, this is like implicit. Um, there was a lot of like implicit uh, when we think about the places. So one of the things I like to do is at the baseline, ask people, you know, where did we learn about sex? Where did we mm -hmm. learn about anything? And we learn about it from the same, you know, we learn about it from all different institutions, formal and informal, whether that's our within our family unit or it's at school or it's whatever. And then what are all those institutions, where do the institutions learn their shit from? And it's like, yeah. they learn it from the patriarchy. They learn it from white supremacy. They learn it from rape culture the same way, you know? And so it's like, if within those institutions, there isn't that conversation or there isn't that acknowledgement and that human humanity, then mm -hmm. why would us as individuals replicate that behavior? Like art imitating life, life imitating art. Yeah. I did video about flirting and consent culture because everybody thinks it's like black and white it's like either they're like hollering out the window of a car down the street or it's oh well i just don't even i don't approach and like there's no one in my dms girl like no one is in my dms like sorry you're she her you use pronouns yeah, yeah. Her. Uh, i use pronouns she her as well um no one's in my DMs who's scared. The only people in my DMs are like wild shit, like wild people who know for a fact that that there's no, like they, they're just like, here's my dick. Like it's not, it's not like anybody actually trying to holler because there's it's like, oh, you're a consent educator. Like oh, I'm going to make a mistake or there, you know, like that it's yeah. this like all or nothing kind of thing. And, and I use the example, I did a video about it and I use the examples of fairy tales. And I was like, you know, when we think about where do we learn about consent? Where do we learn about relationships? Where do we learn about sex? And it's like, we learn it from our stories. Mm -hmm. And those stories stay messed up, mm -hmm. right? Like people are kissing yeah. you when you're asleep, like all kinds of wild shit. It's like the people don't take no for an answer and that's romantic. And like, and that is replicated and replicated and replicated. So when we don't have illustrations and demonstrations of what consent looks like in real time. Yeah then of course we don't know. And to think that we watched these things growing up, 
like to learn as a kid it's okay like beauty and the beast for example like an abusive man basically oh, like a beast <laughs> and Take me instead. Like, no, the dad letting her. No, everything about that was, like, everything about all of that is a mess. Yeah. It, it, it perpetuates and replicates those, those patriarchal, heteronormative, mm-hmm. monog- like, all, 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 all of that. And, it, and it's like, you know what, all that is all of that. But if we, and this is the thing that I talked about, about why I teach critical thinking skills, because it's like, without the critical thinking skills to assess that information, it's the same thing like porn. It's like, okay, so now we've got some good porn, but there was a long, it's been a long history of pornography without representation of different bodies, genders, types of negotiation. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when I would educate people one-on-one about it, they'd be like, well, how do I, like I, I explain how to negotiate consent in a sec, in a sexual interaction. I'm like, Ooh, that seems like a lot of talking. I'm like, yeah it doesn't have to be like boring talking be like dirty talk or whatever or Make it kind of boring talking too lots of shit's boring like and that's- <laughs> <laughs> i did tons of boring shit today and none of it was sex so i rather do the boring yeah. conversation before sex like you know it's and it's it's really funny because my own personal experiences you know like i'm in my mid-30s now almost and people i have sex with are of all ages of age and grown adult people where we could fully get down without ever discussing STI, um, like STI status or, you know, safer sex uh, preferences or all, it just would never happen if I didn't bring up the conversation. I was like, are you really out here fucking people without this convo? Like they're 38. Like, (laughs) but because it's so, it becomes what's normal. Mm -hmm. um, It doesn't surprise me at all and two what we have to remember which is something i try not to lose sight of is that i've devoted my life to mm-hmm. learning about sex and relationships and consent and all these things and normalizing these skills within myself yeah. we can lose sight of the fact that people aren't talking about sex every day exactly like, i'm yeah. all i'm like i'll say shit like as you know like nutted in as a casual conversation and people mm-hmm. are like and I was like, oh yeah, you don't talk like this, like in your general day to day, like you could go months without having explicit conversations about sex. Uh-huh. And so people are going their entire lives without explicit conversations about consent. No. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. No. And it's very normal. And, and what's normal for us is not normal for, you sure. know, like people are like computer programmers. Like they talk about computers every day. I don't talk about computers every day. Like I don't know yeah. about computers. Yeah. And then it is, it is, it could be awkward with those kinds of people as well. Like if you do bring it, bring up sex and you make a, like a slip and you know, you say something and it's like, oops, um, that's not the kind of person that's going to, I don't know, talk about kinks per, per se, you know? Yeah. And then they think I'm a freak. Which I think is fine. But the, yeah. you know, I think when I think about my core objectives, it's like, I want people to have better relationships. Mm-hmm. with themselves and others and part of that is normalizing sex as part of our lives and part of our well-being and part of and also that it's not like a, a stationary thing it's like mm-hmm. something it's an experience it's exploratory it's not performance it's not you know but we're taught that it's a performance especially in a gendered lens like people are very afraid of sex 
mm-hmm. in every way. And so it's like, if we can, if we can start having conversations that alleviate that fear, fear of rejection, fear of um, being bad at it, mm, yeah, you know, fear of failure, like extracting the ego from sex or like using the ego as a tool in sex, as opposed to a weapon. Mm-hmm. Like all of that is part of why we're having this conversation right now, right? Is that, um, and even to that idea of like a lot of people's issue with consent or like why they don't think it's sexy or whatever, negotiating consent isn't sexy. Is there is this idea that it's like awkward or uncomfortable? And mm-hmm. that just speaks to that broader issue of people thinking that we're just meant to never be uncomfortable or like, yeah. That- or that shit isn't awkward. So many other things are awkward. Yeah. So many other awkward conversations. Like, you ever try to order at like the deli counter and you don't understand how grams work? That's awkward. I'm like, a yeah. hundred? Uh, like, I, you know, like, I, how many slices is that? Talk to me in measurements, I understand. Like, and that's it. It's like, how do we talk about these things in measurements we understand? Mm-hmm. And it's, all, it's totally normal. It's just that we prefer having these non-awkward, I, you know, like fantasies where everything is just perfect and like realized. happiness is just everything, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it is. And to that point, I think that a lot of people are having consent negotiation conversations, but they're not doing it in a certain language or it's not as formal or it's mm-hmm. not as explicit. And I think it's really important that we make space and we make room for the validity of those conversations because we never want to prescribe to someone. It's like, Oh, you're not like you're being oppressed or you're not, you've never had consensual sex in your whole life. Cause you've never asked someone, can I touch you here? Like mm-hmm. th- that's not true either. Mm-hmm. So the more we can kind of parse out mm-hmm. the, what it is that we're actually talking about, which again, to that point about like, this is an invitation into the, into an experience. It's like, if there's some form of that happening, then like that's consent too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be intimidating. And um, to that point as well, would you think, would you say that like the body motions and all of that, how does that come into play when asking or seeking consent from other people? Yeah, I mean, like I don't with that, I don't I don't think there's ever an overriding narrative, right? Mm-hmm. Like to say the uh, consent ideals are explicit, yes. Mm-hmm. Right? Consent idea ideals are sober, mm-hmm. always sober. Yeah. Um, but the realistic the reality is that in a lot of people's lived experiences that there are many wanted experiences mm-hmm. that happen without an explicit yes. Um, or they happen while intoxicated, obviously not like blackout dissociated intoxicated, but like people who got a little buzz and whatever. And I like to talk about consent and intoxication in my work a lot, Mm -hmm. because I don't think that we're equipping people to make good decisions, you know, quote unquote, good decisions. If we don't talk about that nuance. Mm -hmm. Um, but what I would say is that sex is a conversation that we have in words, in body, in spirit, in all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And that the same way you can get to know someone emotionally, you can get to know them physically. People do give physical cues. Some people are nonverbal. Some people, like there's so many different reasons. It's so important. Like if you're ever unsure, ask. Yeah, for sure. 
And I think that we can read other people's body language when we want to. Yeah. When we're present to an experience, you can tell that somebody is like not open mm -hmm. and it's an opportunity to check in. And it doesn't mean that it's unwanted, but it, it, it might mean that they're experiencing um, insecure. They feel insecure or whatever. Yeah. So it's like when it comes to, you know, body cues and all of that, my mm -hmm. thing is pay attention. Yeah. Pay attention to the moment you're in. It's, it's, it's an exchange. Mm -hmm. So when you're present to an exchange, it's like, when you're talking, you run into a friend. Mm -hmm. These are all, the way I think about it is these are all transferable skills we already have. These are already social skills we already have. You run into a friend, they're getting a coffee. You're, you know, imagine this is before and we're allowed to see people and you're having like a little chat. You can tell by someone's body language if they're like, I got to go, but they don't want to tell you they got to go. And it's not that they don't want to be there. They just can't like what. And it's like, if you're paying attention, you'd be like, I can, you know, I can see you want to go like, or it's like, oh, I'll let you go. Or like, are you good for time? Like there's so many ways we can check in by being present yeah and you know to your I, I think you know like you sent me a list of questions one of the things you asked it's like what about what about when people they don't they don't want to have the they, it's like it's it's hotter for them not to have the conversation or like mm -hmm. or it's like people do have those preferences like some of which are rooted in old ideas that we find in rape culture for sure like um the idea is like I shouldn't have to tell you what I need or like I shouldn't have to tell you what I want like no that's some like yeah. lazy patriarchal shit like it's like no I actually I can tell you, you know, whatever. So pay attention. And also too, I think the last thing I'll say about that is that consent is ongoing. So one of the questions I asked in my trivia game is like, when is the best time to talk to your partners about what you like and what feels good for you uh, with sex before, during, after all of the above oh, and yes. all of the above. Right. So it's like before, yeah, I like this and that during, how is that after, mm -hmm. how was that? I like yeah. this I like that. And then it's like, oh, you know, like I was good, but this, and it's like, okay, I'll pay attention to that more. It's like, it doesn't have to be perfect, but it takes effort. And it also takes like being vocal, like if somebody asks you as well, right? And not just saying, yeah, okay, this, yes, no, giving like passive answers, but it's more like, I always, I always like to tell people what could be improved, you know, if I, if I have the guts to do so sometimes, you know things happen and you know like I stay quiet but whatever there's many reasons for that too and the way that I look at it or like the advice that I've given like even when I talk about the like flirting and consent culture type shit where it's just like if we're practicing empathy and awareness it's like okay let me take the power dynamics of the situation into consideration like all there's so many different factors that we can take into the consideration that would create the the climate for someone to be honest or dishonest mm. right and, and that's true for ourselves. And so it's like, we all have work to do to be within a consent, like to normalize consent culture. Mm. And there's ways, there's different ways of doing it. And if we're the person on the, like, on the end of it, where it's like, I was afraid to say something, or I didn't want to make the person feel bad or whatever, when we're, when we're on that side of it, not wallowing or beating ourselves up for mm. not speaking up being like, okay, yeah, I made that decision in that moment because of my survival, whatever that spectrum yeah. of survival is, whether that's like emotional capacity or like my actual physical safety, you know, it's like, we make those decisions based on 
the information we have at the time. And so it's like, okay, how did that feel? All right. I didn't like how that felt. I'm going to, I'm going to speak up next time. Like Mm. I'm going to negotiate the condom use next. I'm going to, I'm going to say no, like no condom, no Mm. pussy. Like that's it. I'm ready to leave. I'm ready to put my shoes on. I'm ready to go. Like, you know, um, but it's not easy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And just, yeah. Learning how to also being assertive as well and knowing what you want. Not, we don't always know what we want. 100% of the time, but um, just having an idea and, you know, like knowing what your boundaries are and not stepping out, making sure that you're not going to step out of that for somebody else's comfort and stuff. That's all important, I think, as well. And And that's why this issue is so intersectional. It's not, it doesn't exist in a silo, right? That's why we can't talk about consent without talking about pleasure, Mm -hmm. right? A lot of people want to have that conversation separately. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, we have to talk about pleasure because the more aware of pleasure we are or what's pleasurable to us, the quicker we're able to identify when something isn't and the more confident we feel in discussing that. Because it's mm-hmm. neutral. It's not personal. It's not you're failing at sex. It's like mm-hmm. also too the idea that pleasure is something, some, something that somebody gives to us as opposed to something that's like innately ours. That creates that power dynamic as well. And so it's like we have to have conversations about pleasure alongside within conversations about power, all of those things, because the more we do that, the less freaky those conversations are, the less afraid of rejection or harm we are, because we know what we know what's up. And I think what the pandemic has taught us is that having partnered sex is a formality. Like we can all do this on our own. I know I can. Uh, so <laughs> that kind yeah. of abundance, like when we when we experience pleasure for ourselves, when we're in possession of our pleasure, we're abundant. And so those negotiations are a lot easier. And that's why sex positivity is relevant to ending gender-based violence, Steve. And and then consent is innately sexy. Like it's like, yeah, it's sexy because now I'm comfortable and having a great time. Dope. Yeah. And that that leads to my next part is how do we make it sexy, I guess, in a partnered or group kind of thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think that it starts with like redefining what it is that we're seeking or being aware of what we're seeking when we don't negotiate consent. So it's like, what do I want to feel? And like, how do we accomplish that with this conversation? Mm. Um, And yeah, it's just like, it it just takes like a a reimagining. It's the same way that like for, uh, for a lot of people using a safer sex method, whatever that is, like on them, whatever, it's like, oh, it's it's interrupting the sex. It's like, no, it's part of the sex. Yeah. If if saying like, do you do you like this? How do I feel? When you realize that, that that's just part of the sex. It's not disruptive. And so I think that I think it's really personal how to make it, you know, in real time, like quote unquote sexy. Like I think that it's sexy regardless because like I said, it creates a climate of safety, comfort. Mm-hmm all the cards are on the table, you know, what's up. You don't have to process like weird anxiety. Like, am I going to hear from them again? Or like, whatever. And like, am I average or whatever? Um, I think that's the sexiest shit ever. Being comfortable is super sexy, but um, cause it allows us to be present in the moment. But in terms of like, how do we use, how do we use language mm-hmm. to make consent sexy? Um, whatever, whatever, however you, you personally get your kicks. And your partners are helpful. Learning yeah. what they like, of course. Yeah. What do you like to hear? I, I remember, I'm going to share a personal thing. Yeah. Um, I remember I was, I used to, when I used, when I was having sex as like a teenager, young, like when I was younger, my early twenties, I 
used to be like, oh, does it feel good? Like that sort of thing, like as kind of like sexy talk, not even like consent wise, like, does it feel good? And I remember the first partner who ever said to me, do I feel good? And I was like, ooh, like that's, that's hot. Like that's nice. That's so embodied. And yeah. from that moment, I hate that person, but I'm from that moment forward, I only ever say like, um, do I feel good or you feel good? And yeah. that creates, it's like, oh, we're in, we're in an exchange. Yeah. And I say that too, with like, um, flirting and sexting and all of that is like embody. Don't be like that ass, be like your ass, like exactly. your ass feels amazing or mm-hmm. like you taste good right. in that moment yeah. as well. Cause mm-hmm. the thing too, like you said, group poly, like, you know, the other night I, I made a, a gift, like I, I sewed a, a seashell pillow for one of my lover's primary partner. Mm-hmm. And I was like, are you even ethically non-monogamous if you aren't making gifts for your partner's partners? Like, I don't, you know, I'm just joking, but that might be cool esoterically, like, mm-hmm. but moment when I'm interacting with you, like, let's, let me interact with you. Yeah. And I think that that's how you make it sexy. It's like with that person in that moment mm-hmm. and that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, not to take shit personally, if someone's like, ah, oh, that's not really like, that's not the spot. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, where's the spot? Yeah. Tell me. Like, just tell me. Or like, or it's like, I don't want to tell you, I want you to find out, like make it, you know, like play games again. It's like, how do you make it fun? Dress up, play games. Like, yeah sex is supposed to be fun yeah that's why we're doing it like i imagine that's why i do it i think i think it goes back to like performativity as well yes we're taught that sex is a performance but you can make it a good one (laughs) right yeah and that's like that's a different thing though right where it's like um because it's intentional Mm -hmm. and that's like when we look at like when i say that we all have transferable skills it's like look at every other aspect of your life, right? Where it's like, am I intentional about that aspect of my life? Am I mindful in that aspect of my life? And we all have the aspects of our lives where we're just wilding out and not acting intentionally, but sex is not one of them. Like Mm -hmm. that can't be one of them unless that's what you like, in which case it's still intentional. And obviously how shit changed with COVID, like that's, that's real, you know? Um, especially when you, when you operate from a place of like, I have public health principles. So that has affected the way that I interact with other people and the way I teach people how to interact as well. Right. Yeah. And a lot of people are not, they don't care, but if they don't care, just leave me alone. I care about public health and I'm going to do what I have to do. Right. And no one should beg you to like, you know, like come out of your comfort zone or, you know, like risk other people just so they could get their genitals wet. You know what I mean? Totally. I think it's, it's consent is also about the ability to make informed decisions. Yeah, sure. Right. And it's like, am I making a decision from a place with all the information that's available? Mm-hmm. And sometimes we are the ones responsible for accessing that information. You know, whether, whether you're the person, no matter which side of the interaction you're on, Right. We also think of consent culture and like rape culture and all of that as being gendered and it is, you mm. know, it is. But again, like I said, like we all have like responsibilities within our capacity. 
and sure. yeah yeah and we can only we can only make decisions based on the information that people give us and then we have to trust our intuition and our all of those other things like you know the number of times i've gotten involved with people where i'm like it's like for sure a fuck boy but i don't want to believe it and then they do fuck boy and i'm like oh, like and i'm like no you knew like you knew yeah. but you made the choice so yeah. <laughs> so there you have it part of my conversation with samantha biddy I hope you found it as engaging and interesting as I did. I would love to hear more from you to see what topics you would like me to cover or people you'd like me to interview. I'm open ears and I would just love to hear from you. You were listening to M Talks. My name is Melissa. I'll see you next time.